When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following podcast contains dramatizations of actual events. Certain situations, dialogue, names, and locations may have been changed. Some scenes are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Bruce Post and his younger brother Joe were born three years apart, but seemed to share the same brain. They were never apart. They were always together. Their childhood mischief started out innocently enough... But as they grew, so did a propensity for evil. Bruce uh, had embraced this kind of Nazi's persona, saying that this, his Aryan Brotherhood was going to get even with them. There was no way to stop it. It was like a train. But one brother was destined to take things one step too far in one unspeakably violent night. It was 29 stab wounds. It was literally from head to toe. You don't kill as a family, you love and you nurture and you respect as a family. And it was horrible what they did to him. Everyone fears us. We're the Post Brothers. Trenton is a small city surrounded by suburbs in the southern part of New Jersey. Once a center of industry, its best days may be behind it. It's really a hard city to live in now, and I I feel bad for the few families that are actually staying and have to deal with the crime rate the way it is. Trenton parents struggled to keep their kids safe, but despite their best efforts, sometimes things go horribly wrong. A Trenton mother awakens in the middle of the night to a strange noise in her kitchen. She goes to investigate and discovers it's her son, Michael, and her nephew, Joe Post. His mother had come down and wondered what the heck was going on. She sees Joe washing blood off his hands. And he looks at her and says, don't worry, Um, Michael didn't do anything wrong. As the boys scrub their hands, 
she worries about all the time her son Michael has been spending with his cousin, Joe. Well, Mike had his own criminal history. I mean, he was no angel, but Joe had bad energy. I mean, from start to finish. And as the boys exit the house, Mike's mother can't begin to imagine the horror show already underway. Bruce Post and his younger brother, Joe, were inseparable as kids growing up in the town of Hamilton, a suburb just outside of Trenton. Hamilton Township is middle class. It's about as middle class as you can get. It's where people go to um, be near Trenton, but also be away from Trenton. Bruce and Joe Post grew up in a fairly affluent neighborhood. You know, nice houses, nice families. People who knew them best described um, the dad as really hardworking, um, a really good guy, and their mother was doting, overprotective. Every neighborhood seems to have a troubled family, but the Post Boys stood apart, even as children. Their rap sheets started, you know, as juvenile stuff. Um, you know, I think Joe's first encounter with the police, one of the first documented ones, was typical kid stuff. But it escalated, and, and it escalated in a way that if you, if you were a cop, you could see something bad was on the way. I would always say that if the police department was able to put one police officer with these two individuals, we would be able to cut the, the juvenile work drastically. As their neighborhood is menaced, all eyes turn to their parents, but there are no signs of abuse or neglect. Something must have gone wrong in that household somewhere, but I don't think, you know, people on the outside are ever gonna really know. I think whatever happened inside that house is gonna stay there. The cause of the brothers' bad behavior remains a mystery. And as they grew, the Post brothers stepped up their game. As the Post brothers grew up, their tastes became more adult. They, their, uh, their bad behavior went from childish pranks to real crimes. Joe and Bruce Post definitely had uh, juvenile rap sheets, from assaults to thefts to um, just plain street thuggery. And soon, sticks and stones become guns and knives. They broke into the home, they stole this weapon. I believe that there was an altercation in front of the house with some of the kids Bruce takes and he fires a gun. No one was hurt, but the incident hinted that the young teens were developing darker tastes. Bruce and Joe Post were definitely on the radar of the Hamilton police. Every juvenile officer knew who they were, knew where they lived, and if something went wrong, knew to go to them first. They got a thrill out of terrifying people and watching them be terrified. And they felt big about it. They felt that this vindicated everything that they were doing. You know, this made them bigger than they really actually were. Everyone fears us. We're the Post Brothers. But the Post Brothers' bad behavior took a turn for the bizarre when the teens became obsessed with the darkest chapter of the 20th century. As teenagers, uh, the Post Brothers were experimenting with different kinds of hate. Bruce Post was known to own a Nazi uniform and to don it and walk through the streets, sometimes goose-stepping through the streets. Bruce uh, had embraced this kind of Nazi's persona. 
uh, where he was threatening people, uh, saying that this, his Aryan Brotherhood was going to get even with them. They love to see the, the fear in people's eyes. And when there wasn't an audience around, they liked to show off for each other, to impress each other with how bad they could be. And in a way, they were their own best audience. Bigoted Bruce Post spoke in Nazi rhetoric and put those hateful words into action. Um, he definitely had, you know, some neo-Nazi leanings, and, and he wasn't afraid to share them. At one point, Bruce had handed and delivered a note to uh, other kids in the neighborhood saying, all of you are dead. Me and my Aryan National Socialist forces will beat and shoot your ass. Your inferior and your family will be killed too. It was definitely something that caused people to think, you know, is there, is there evil in this area? And the hate didn't stop with just costumes and harsh language. Soon, a Nazi bunker is found in the woods. Right above the door was a sign that said, trespassers will be shot, survivors will be shot again. There was a picture of a young man dressed as Hitler with a swastika armband on, posing. He was actually posing in the picture in the bunker. Just the mention of a bunker and swastikas, and it caused a lot of strong reaction in the area from all sorts of um, religious people. The academic community got involved. State law enforcement authorities um, were really troubled by this. And at home, the brothers created another headquarters for their hatred. Bruce and Joe had a Nazi headquarters set up in their garage, the family house. They conducted business there, and there was actually a book that listed some of the things you could do that could earn you some sanctions from them. They kept a diary, and if, uh, if you crossed them or if you didn't do what, you, what they asked you to do, your name went in the book. The brothers managed to avoid any major legal entanglements, and their mother is their biggest defender. If the cops came to the door, you know, Mrs. Post would come out there and, you know, give them a hard time for harassing her boys, no matter what the charges were. It wasn't their fault. You know, it, it, it was the other person's fault. You know, well, you shouldn't have provoked my son. You shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have done that, you, you know. But my son is, is, is a good boy. He's a good boy. They felt that they could always go back to mommy and hide behind her and the mother would, would stick up for her. I know she had some sort of a, uh, a distaste for the local law enforcement community, put it that way. And um, I know that they kind of had to go through the mom to get to the boys at times if they went to the house. There's no end in sight, and police fear the worst. It was just a matter of time, and there was no way to stop it. It was like a train. It was going to crash, and you couldn't stop it. As the Post brothers grow older, they branch out of their neighborhood and bring a torrent of violence with them. Joe grabbed a tire iron and uh, broke his nose and knocked some teeth out. And the bigger the audience, the worse the violence. They stepped further into a dangerous world of unspeakable violence, as vicious as anything ever put on film. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Brothers Joe and Bruce Post have been nothing but troubled to their New Jersey neighborhood since they were children. They got a thrill out of terrifying people and watching them be terrified. Bruce uh, had embraced this kind of Nazis persona, saying that this, his Aryan Brotherhood was going to get even with them. It was definitely something that caused people to think, you know, is there, is there evil in this area? But everything has been child's play compared to what's about to come. Bruce Post had always looked to the past for evil inspiration. But younger brother Joe was drawn to more recent history. Joe grew up hearing stories about a gang that ruled the Trenton area streets in the 1980s. The Pitbull Gang was a gang of young white males. They felt their job was, uh, was to keep the Chambersburg area pure. The Chambersburg area being mostly Italian. They didn't like the fact that they had a lot of Hispanics coming into the town. They wanted to keep anybody who wasn't Italian or white from coming into the neighborhood. And they did it by intimidation and physical assaults. A gang with a legendary reputation for intimidation 
appealed to Joe on many levels. Some of the uh, main characters who actually created this, this pit bull gang uh, went to jail. Key players who Joe really kind of idolized and wanted to uh, follow in their footsteps. It doesn't take Joe long to get a local crew of family and friends organized and form the second coming of the Pitbull Gang. Joe started to take lead with the Pitbull Gang. They started to bring in naturally people they knew and people that they could kind of manipulate and mold into the gang that they wanted, you know, the followers that they wanted. Joe's first recruit is his cousin, Mike Levering. He's followed by three other guys from the neighborhood. Andy Whited, Nick Migliaccio, and Steve Yeager. I believe they were um, obsessed with the gang life, the criminal, the criminal element. I definitely think they wanted to be gangsters. When you see this progression, you know that it's, it can't end good. And Joe, the younger post brother, takes the reins. Bruce may have been the older of the two brothers, but Joe was definitely bigger and stronger and definitely, you know, the family favorite. He's better looking, um, more popular. And he just had the charisma to, you know, get people to do what he wanted them to do. Joey was the leader, clearly. Without a doubt, Joey led the, led the pack. This new generation of pit bulls doesn't take long to garner a reputation. When an assault or some sort of a mugging or some sort of a, um, uh, a victimization crime occurred in their neighborhood, they were definitely the usual suspects. Despite their desire to be the baddest boys on the block, not everyone buys into the legend the pit bull gang is trying to create. Law enforcement would call them pit puppies because the, the pit bulls fancied themselves to be tough guys. So the cops would refer to them as the pit puppies, saying there's nothing tough about these kids at all. Their main focus in life was to get some cash, act hard, and then buy drugs and sit around and, and drink and do drugs and play video games and talk about how cool they were. And they definitely thought of themselves as a bigger, badder crew than they ever really were. But what police don't yet know is that the Pitbulls want to take their gang to new heights. They shared an interest not just in Nazis, but in mobsters and gangster movies as well. Joe in particular wanted to become a, a real mobster, just like those he saw in the movies on TV. Anything that had to do with violence, where they're whacking somebody up and throwing them in the trunk of a car. So the gang was fairly typical copycats. They saw people doing uh, really violent things on TV and they wanted that action to be part of their real life. Looking to up the ante, like the mobsters in the movies, the Pitbull gang sets their sights on new targets. I know that the, um, the Pitbull gang did target minorities late at night. It was a crime that wasn't really too hard to learn. A lot of um, immigrant workers would get off at night um, from late night shifts working at different areas. They were paid in cash under the table a lot, and so they were known to carry cash. About the narrow, we're gonna have some problems. What the Pitbull gang was notorious for was actually laying in wait for these guys to get done work. On a regular basis, they pick a different restaurant or a different corner, a different area to focus their attention on. 
and uh, they would wait for these guys to get done work, and they would jump them, beat them, and rob them. They were probably here illegally and would be reluctant to uh, complain to the police. And because of that, uh, they were making some pretty good change off of the, these people for a while. Beating up immigrants for money with impunity seems like the perfect crime for these wannabe gangsters. But after several successful robberies, their luck runs out. Joe and a bunch of his friends uh, were being disruptive at 2 in the morning outside of a convenience store. And they started making noise, and the owner of the store went out, told them to get lost. A verbal dispute begins, which kind of segues into a physical pushing match. Joe grabbed a tire iron that had uh, tape around the handle, and he beat the face of the owner and uh, broke his nose and knocked some teeth out. Joe is arrested and sent to jail for several months. But Bruce doesn't need to be in a gang to be a menace. Nasty behavior seems to run in the family. Bruce, in the same hey. parking lot, but I believe at the same convenience store where Joe was arrested, uh, was charged with aggravated assault in that he caused bodily injury with a uh, deadly weapon. As a result of that, he was arrested, charged, and ultimately pled guilty to aggravated assault, for which he received five years probation and 500 hours of community service. The brothers built their rap sheet like a resume. Each arrest was like a red badge of courage. They were performers on a bloody stage with a thoroughly terrified audience. And just months later, while Joe is still in jail, another Pitbull gang member is arrested on similar charges. In October of 1995, Andrew White had got arrested, was sent to the county jail, where he stayed for a few weeks, uh, probably about a month and ultimately was released uh, and given a new court date. Joe and Andrew got out around the same time. Joe is released and the Post brothers are reunited. But months in jail have turned Joe's tough guy persona into something darker and more purposeful. I think that when someone goes to jail, one of two things could happen. I mean, for, for a lot of people, it's a wake-up call. But for others, I think you come out, you know, kind of hardened and not really afraid anymore. I definitely think that it improved his stature and kind of made him uh, a real uh, criminal to himself and to his friends. And, you know, anybody who goes to jail uh, comes out a different person. And I definitely think that happened in Joe Post's case. But in the real world, Joe isn't yet the hardened gangster he sees in the movies. He seeks to make a name for himself and to do so in front of an audience. And that's where, you know, it began. Joe and his friends were very obsessed with mobster movies. They wanted to be the baddest boys on the planet. And you didn't get there by being penny ante. Fame came with the dramatic murders of one's enemies. And Joe doesn't have to look far to find an opportunity. Joe was uh, very suspicious of the fact that uh, Andrew had gotten out of jail so quickly. That uh, really bothered him. Andrew Whited um, was seen by the gang, and specifically Joe Post, as cooperating with law enforcement in some way. Whether he was a full-blown snitch, whether he was um, trying to save himself, whether he was innocently caught up um, with the police and bad information got back to Joe Post, he was definitely seen as someone who couldn't be trusted. Joe had to teach Andrew a lesson. 
and brothers Joe and Bruce Post will be reunited on one evil night of torture, death, and betrayal. Criminals definitely have this, um, when they get out of jail, their friends kind of throw like a homecoming party, a welcome back. Usually there's drinking, drugs, whatever they're into. Joe Post uh, reached out to Andrew when he got out and said, hey, listen, we're going to have a party for you, a welcome home party. We're going to go over to uh, Steve Yeager's apartment. We're going to go over there. We're going to, you know, uh, we'll drink. We're going to watch some movies. We'll get high. You know, we're all going to get together and uh, have a good time. After serving a curiously short stint in jail, Andrew is welcomed back with open arms. But he has no idea that his so-called friends are wolves in sheep's clothing. Andrew's welcome back party was uh, was a setup, basically. The boys gather for a night of drinking, drugs, and mobster movies. The usual gang members are there. Nick, Andy, Stephen, and Mike. Also in attendance is Bruce Post. So far, it seems everyone is having a good time. But after Stephen departs for a club, the mood changes. That night, at some point, Joe gathered his guys. Joe wanted to teach uh, Andrew Whited a lesson. He was accused of being a snitch. Though there's no evidence to suggest that Andrew is a snitch, Joe doesn't like to hear the word no. Gangs, small gangs, large gangs, secret societies, whatever you have, they, uh, they turn evil when they are taken over by evil men who then frighten the other members into being obedient. Mike and Nick, they were intimidated by Joe, intimidated to the point where, you know, we better go along with this or we may be victims down the road. As Andrew sits in the next room watching a gangster movie, the stage has been set for a real-life bloodbath. Joe Post comes in to the uh, living room and starts arguing with Andrew. Andrew's not prepared for what happens next. Joe lunged at Andrew and stabbed him in the chest with a knife. Uh, Andrew starts screaming, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And Joe proceeded to keep stabbing him over and over and over again. Dazed, Andrew begins fighting for his life. They end up fighting towards the door and into the kitchen area. Why are you doing this, man? As the life bleeds out of Andrew, Joe continues to perform for his audience. Based on the statements, it seems Bruce was telling his brother to finish it, finish it. He picked Andrew's head up, leaned his head back by pulling his hair and ran the knife across his throat. And with that, the vicious deed is done. And Joe takes a moment to admire his handiwork. It was 29 stab wounds, separate stab wounds. It was literally from head to toe. It was pretty violent. Blunt and simple. Joe Post was a psychopath. The murder is everything Joe hoped it would be. And after the murder, Joe felt a tremendous high. He'd finally committed murder. He'd killed a rat. Now he was a real mobster. 
and he's seen enough mobster movies to know what to do next. Andrew has tattoos, and you know he had one tattoo in particular to have his name on it. So uh, he proceeded to cut the tattoo off of uh, Andrew's arm. When it was over and done with, uh, Mike Levering decided, I'm, I'm getting out of here. So he leaves, he goes down to the street, and uh, he's followed outside by Bruce and Joe, and are telling him, uh, you're not going anywhere, you're staying here. We need your help, we gotta, we gotta get rid of the body, we gotta clean this up, we gotta get rid of the body. And to do that, they need their cousin Mike's car. According to Mike and, and Nick, they didn't want to take Bruce's car because his car is well known. The Prost brothers driving in Bruce's car, they would have more than likely been stopped. They took the body and they, they rolled it up in a blanket and they opened up the trunk of uh, Mike Levering's car and put the body in the trunk. While Bruce stays behind to make sure the rest of the crew cleans up the apartment, Joe leaves with their cousin to dump the body. And of course, you know, Joe, because he's thinking like a mobster, he's gonna dump him in the Pine Barrens um, in true mobster fashion. The Pine Barrens is, you know, it's a, it's a swath of wetlands um, along the Jersey Shore. It's dark, you can go in there and get lost forever. And, you know, bodies have been known to disappear there. As the boys speed south, Mike knows he must keep his mouth shut. Joe was, you know, was his cousin. And uh, he saw what Joe did to Andy, and he didn't want to be on the receiving end of that. But some crimes are thwarted by the simplest of circumstance. Mike looked at his gas tank and realized he didn't have that much gas in his car, so he drove to his home. His mother had come down and wondered what the heck was going on. Uh, he asked his mother for $5. It's the middle of the night. Mom, my, my tank is almost empty. I could really use $5 At this point, uh, Joe turns to uh, Michael's mother, and Michael's mother being his aunt, and says, don't worry, you know, uh, Mike didn't get in any trouble, everything's okay. Joe and Mike take the gas money and drive off into the night. But $5 of gas doesn't get them very far. I don't think I have enough gas to make it all the way to the Pine Barrens. And I think they realized that the more they drove, the greater risk it was going to be. So they abandoned the notion of going all the way to the Pine Barrens. All right, man, take, take the So they just sort of pulled off in some remote township, and they got the body as far as they could off the road, off an exit ramp from the highway. With an almost empty gas tank, Joe and Mike realize they are out of options. Get it, get it. So they just said, the heck with it. Let's, let's get the heck out of here. They jumped back in the car, left the body on top of the ground, and, and left. They all came back to the apartment, made sure everything was cleaned up to the best of their ability. Everyone kind of, like, kind of skulked home. Nothing leaves here. And that was it. They just kind of left and didn't talk about it anymore. As anyone who's seen a mafia movie knows, dead men tell no tales. But Andrew Whited hasn't said his last word just yet. Andrew and I always talked by phone, all the, I mean, every day, just about every day, he would call me, whether it'd be to come over and hang out or to get something to eat. And when I didn't hear from him for such a, a, a long period of time, I worried. I had a gut feeling something was wrong. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just knew something was wrong. 
Andrew's sister Florence has spent weeks searching for her missing brother. It's only a matter of time before she sees the writing on the wall. I went to work on a Wednesday or Thursday. I went to work and I was talking to my boss about it. And she said, well, maybe I should go file a missing persons report. File a missing persons report? And the search for her brother is about to come to a tragic end. Three to four weeks now, I haven't heard from him or anything. On December 18th, 1995, a gentleman was leaving a truck company and making his way onto 195, which is the highway. He sees something in the distance. He got off of 195, exit 16, and he got out of his vehicle and uh, walked over to see what it was, and that's when uh, he discovered the body. And he uh, actually called uh, 911 and the state police, which handled that area there. Although it was majorly stabbed and was in bad condition, the body had clothing on it, and the clothing had pockets, and the pockets had some papers in there. Despite Joe's zeal to remove all of Andrew's identifying tattoos, he forgot to check his pockets. The piece of paper they got out of the pocket of Andrew White it, uh, was a court notice for his next court date in Trent Municipal Court. That kind of uh, paper had his name, his home address, his social security number, uh, his driver's license number. So basically when they had that piece of paper, they took him right to Trenton and right to Andrew White. Armed with this information, police tracked down Andrew's sister, Florence. They came and they notified us that they had found his body and that they were gonna perform an autopsy. But there had been obvious signs of foul play. I was outraged. I was so mad. And it was horrible what they did to him. As the investigation gains momentum, Andrew's family mourns. A few days after my brother's body was found, um, we had had a week for him at our um, local funeral home. And the Post brothers, along with the Pitbulls, are all in attendance. Actually, Joe Post, I remember exactly what he was wearing at my brother's view viewing. He um, was wearing a long black trench coat. It reminded me of like he was a gangster, a mobster type guy. Joe has completely lost touch with reality. He's tried to project the image of a killer, and to do it, he's actually become a killer. And as they have throughout their lives, Joe and Bruce relish an audience. It's that they wanted to see others suffering from what their devious acts brought. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to Joe Post. It was a pleasure to Bruce. It was just something that, uh, you know, they, I, I believe they truly lived for. Joe definitely went up on that tier. I mean, he just went right up the ladder, committing a murder. He just said he was sorry for the loss of my brother, for, for my loss, and signed my brother's book and actually and then walked out. Little do they know, but police are already hot on their trails. And a mysterious informant is about to turn the tables on the Post brothers. We came across our uh, first real main witness in the investigation. It happened to be a street drug dealer. His uh, street name was E. A juvenile who was in Lawrence Township who got pinched for some offense. He was brought into Lawrence Township and he spoke to the juvenile detective. He said he had information. What E related was that uh, he had met up with uh, one of his patrons uh, and he said, I'll give you some rock if you run me out to Heightstown. I got to pick up... Uh, 
you know, some product. And on the way, this guy is telling E that, hey, uh, you know, uh, my cousins, uh, they killed a guy not too long ago. He knew the guy's name was Mike, and he knew that he had a license plate, L-E-V, uh, Lev, on his vehicle. We ran the, uh, this license plate through the system, Lev, and uh, it led us to Mike Levering. The police are closing in, and soon family ties will be put to the ultimate test. We called Mike Levering in for questioning that night, and uh, he arrived around uh, 9.30 p.m. Mike has been a loyal pit bull. And where has it gotten him? Uh, now he has a long prison sentence facing him, and uh, he realizes that prison is scarier than the Post brothers. So he turns on them. He says, you need to teach Andy a lesson. Joe stabs him. I didn't do anything. I couldn't do anything. I was afraid of what Joe might do to me. Michael just to help. gave up everything. Uh, he told us exactly what happened, what Joe Post's plan was, and... You know, how he moved forward with it, uh, the steps he wanted to take to take out uh, Andrew Whited. Mike's statement is a big break for the police, but they can't proceed. Based on a snitch's statement alone, they need physical evidence. It was very fortunate that uh, the apartment had not been rented. So we were able to get into the apartment. There was blood splatter uh, behind the counter, behind the refrigerator. There was blood everywhere. Steve Yeager and Bruce Post they, they, and Nick had cleaned up. Uh, however, what they didn't realize was, you know what, you don't look up. When you're striking someone with a knife and you're bringing the arm back and forth like this, blood splatter is going to go everywhere. Now armed with Mike Levering's statement and the blood evidence uncovered at the crime scene, police bring in Bruce Post and the members of the Pitbull gang. They all gave statements. Now, well, they differed to a large extent. The one thing they all agreed on was that Joe was the attacker, he initiated the attack, and he did the vast majority of the stabbing. One by one, they got themselves out of that crime. They got themselves reduced sentences. They plea bargained, they rolled. How ironic is it that the Pitbulls were getting the real-life mobster experience they'd always wanted? But they were getting it behind bars. And just like in those mobster movies, they each in turn figuratively stabbed the others in the back. Most of the gang members spill their guts, but the Post brothers don't go so easily. Bruce talks, but he's reluctant to implicate Joe in the stabbing. No, I didn't. I was in the bathroom. If you want to know something about Joe, then ask Joe. Joe, on the other hand, behaves like a proper gangster. Joe didn't say anything. Joe basically thumbed his nose at us and said, I, you know, I don't have anything to say to you. I got nothing to say to you. As they had done since they were children, Joe and Bruce show nothing but contempt for the law, even in open court. Joe is quiet. He's stoic. He doesn't say much. Bruce, on the other hand, is very demonstrative, and he's got that... Hitler-like mustache and that funky haircut with the short sides. But when the hammer of the law comes down, the boys go to pieces. For all of their posturing and tough talk, it was easy to forget that these guys were all just young men from 19 to 26 years old. Bruce reluctantly agrees to break his family bond and testify against his brother Joe. 
He was laughing. He was crying. Uh, he was saying, I don't want to see anyone die. Uh, he was acting out. It was on the front page of every paper. It was like he was putting a show on. But unlike his brother, Joe maintains his mobster ethos and refuses to cut any kind of deal. They take him out of court. They're going to take him back to jail. Well, and he looks at the press and he says, Sometimes you just got to go for broke. And that was his mentality. He was going to take it like a man and right to the very end, he wasn't going to talk to the cops. But Bruce is haunted by his own betrayal. And before he testifies against his brother, he takes matters into his own hands. At one point while incarcerated, Bruce tried to take his own life um, by wrapping a sheet around himself and hanging himself from the bars. The guards were still there, um, and they were, you know, they were on him as soon as he dropped. There is definitely a loyalty between the two of them, which I guess is that bond that brotherhood brings on. They still were loyal to each other. When suicide doesn't work, Bruce tries the next best thing to win back his brother's loyalty. That's all you should know. Jody, kill him! Bruce recanted his statement. He didn't want to testify against his brother. Bruce tried to pull a 52 fake out in court. You know, one minute he's, you know, he's giving a statement about how his brother killed Andrew White, and next minute, I never said that. I, I, you know, I was tortured, I was coerced, you know, I never said that. The story that Bruce gave was that it was all Nick, all Mike, uh, that he and Joe had nothing to do with it, and uh, that the people that we had made deals with were, in fact, the real killers. Despite Bruce's best efforts, the jury isn't buying his new story. Five hours later, they came back with a guilty verdict from Joe. It was pretty much the same day after the judge finished the instruction. When we finally did the sentencings, Andrew's sister spoke. The victim impact hearing was very hard because it was actually the first time I got to speak to him and tell him how I felt about what he did and what he took from us. From us that can never be replaced. He needs to get maximum penalty. He shouldn't even point a finger at. And he just came back with a slide remark, you know, well, where were you when he was on the street? He picked a fight in court with the victim survivors, which pretty much ran, became a shouting match between him and Andrew's sisters. I wish I could have put my hands around his throat, but I couldn't do that. <laughs> but yeah, it did. It felt good to tell him what I felt of him, what I thought of him, and what he did. Despite all the trial's theatrics, in the end, justice is handed down. Joe received a life sentence uh, in New Jersey at the time. Uh, the, that was the maximum sentence you can get. He has to do 30 years before he's eligible to be considered for parole. Bruce ultimately got five years for his role as uh, in destroying physical evidence, as well as his violation of probation. Brothers for life. Joe and Bruce Post had come to the end of the evil path they had walked together since they were children. Their relationship must be very twisted. I mean, because if you if you have siblings, you're you don't kill as a family. You love and you nurture and you respect as a family. In most cases, siblings are united by love. But we had here were brothers united by hate. Bruce Post pled guilty to hindering apprehension and was sentenced to a five-year term. 
he claims he was never a member of the Pitbull gang. Michael Levering and Nikki Migliaccio both pled guilty to aggravated manslaughter and were sentenced to a 12-year and 10-year term. Steven Yeager was sentenced to one year for tampering with evidence. Joe Post is serving a 30-year sentence without parole. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 